Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 5 and 6 tonight. I really wanted to um, also do chapter 7, except chapter 7 is 60 verses long. <laughs> and um, I just thought there's no way that, that we could do that with the time allotted to us tonight. So let's turn to Acts chapter 5 and let me give you a little introduction As we come to chapter 5, we are continuing to see the effects of the great sermon that Peter gave. Also, we're introduced to the first defection in the church, uh, followed by the death of Adonis and Sapphira, who were Christians, but were not living on a high spiritual level of the early church, which was really incredible. Uh, At the end of chapter 4, We were introduced to a man by the name of Barnabas. Uh, He will be with us again. He was one of the wonderful saints in the early church, a true man of God. He was the first missionary partner with the Apostle Paul when they went to the very difficult area of Galatia. And yet God marvelously blessed their ministry there. Barnabas had given quite a large sum of money to the church. He had made a generous offering and everybody was talking about it. I imagine he received a great deal of publicity for his generosity. Remember that in the early church they had all things in common. It reveals the fact that they were on a high spiritual level to be able to do this. Now, the first affection comes in, having all things common, could not continue and did not continue simply because of the carnal nature that is in mankind. So what we're looking at as we turn to chapter five, of course, um, this will, we'll be looking at Peter's second sermon here tonight. His first one, you might remember that 3,000 people got saved. And as he's explaining what happened when Pentecost actually, the day had come and we had 3,000 people that became believers. And so now in chapter four, um, they realize that they don't have enough um, helpers, and so they designate deacons to uh, help oversee so that um, the disciples could keep themselves busy studying the word, um, teaching, so on and so forth. So as we get into this tonight, uh, we're having the first incident of church discipline. And it's really provoked out of, I think, jealousy by this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And so let's read the first uh, four verses of Acts chapter five. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Now, again, let's just go back to chapter four, And we read the last couple verses, uh, beginning with verse 32, that all the believers, they were of one heart, one soul, neither did anyone say any of the things he possessed was his own. And I think we made the point on Sunday that whatever we have, we're just stewards. The Lord has given us these things, and they're temporal, and they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, there was among them no one who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them. Now, just think about that. Everything they had, they had all things in common, and they just sold it all. Um... And they took the proceeds and they gave it to the apostles. And then um, we're 
uh, told about um, Barnabas as, as one who sold a piece of land. His name means encouragement. He's a Levite. And having sold land, he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I think it had to be quite a bit of money because it triggers a response with Adonias and Sapphira. And I think people were saying things like, can you believe that? I mean, this guy, he, he had a lot of property and he had a lot of money and he just got rid of it all so that the people that were starting with this church of 3,000, they could uh, be maintained. So that's the setting for chapter five. Um, Ananias and Sapphira um, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, I would say in with it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So let's just look at verses one and two. Now we need to go through four, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it it your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart, for you have not lied to men, but to God? Well, this is um, what Peter is exercising here is called um, a word of wisdom. The Lord was actually speaking um, to Peter and saying they're not telling the truth. He had a word of wisdom. And the Lord told it to Peter, not only that, but he also tells them the instrument that caused them to lie. And we read here, why has Satan filled your heart with a lie? And we're told that what? Satan is the the father of what? He's the father of lies. So he goes on to explain to them, he says, look, it was your land. You could have um, given whatever you wanted to. Why, Why do you have to lie about it? Uh, You could have sold it for this amount and kept what you wanted to. Why are you um, trumping up the story to make it sound um, like like it it was coming out? So the result of this, and with this word of wisdom, reminds me, uh oh, I'm getting into storytelling time already, and we're only in verse four. <laughs> I had an incident happen to me. Um, oh, early seventies, and um, it was uh, a couple, and um, my job was selling submarine sandwiches out of a one of those uh, trucks that alongside the road, you know, people come up and buy a hot dog or whatever. And I decided to to park my truck outside this place where they're having a concert. And this couple comes up, and um, it was raining. And um, I was just sitting in there reading. And I said, why don't you guys come on in and get out of the rain? And um, I, I looked at the girl, and she looked... I actually thought they were on tripping on acid or they were on drugs. That was, that was my thought. And the guy said, uh, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just reading my Bible here you know, about Jesus. And when I said the name Jesus, this girl freaked out. And, um, and I said, I looked at her and uh, there was, her eyes were just full of hatred for me, because I said Jesus. And I said, why does the name Jesus bother you so much? Well, she, she went right down to the floor, and she started doing this. And I looked at her boyfriend, and I said, um, your girlfriend here is demon-possessed. <laughs> and uh, he didn't know what to think about that. And I said, and this, I'm telling this story only because the Lord gave me a word of wisdom at this point, 
And I looked at her and I said, where did you get involved in the occult? And she said, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, just like that. Now, I didn't know to ask the question, just like here when Peter and Ananias come up and they gave money, the Lord gave Peter a word of wisdom saying that isn't true. What they're telling you right now isn't true. It was, it was yours. You could have given whatever, but you're embellishing your story because Satan has um, caused you to lie. And as, as a result of this, it seems that the early church, that the Lord is setting a, a, pres- a precedent here about being honest. I mean, what they were doing and accomplishing was amazing. I mean, revival was in full-on mold, and uh, they were holding absolutely nothing back. Now, as a result of this lie, let's look at verse five. Then Ananias, having hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Great fear um, here and the church watching this take place created fear in the rest of them um, thinking about, you know, if we give something to the work here, we're not gonna make the mistake that Ananias made. And so we have this fear and what was the, the big lie all about? He was basically saying, we're giving it all. And when I say that, it reminds me of the old hymn. You guys remember that song? I surrender all, I surrender all. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. But that's what we sing, right? But we don't. And where did this all start? Way back here. Now we can sing the song, but that doesn't necessarily make it true because it's certainly not. If the Lord was setting a precedent here, it was that he was serious about integrity in the early church. And for the very first time, it's being defiled. And so he does something that's never been repeated again. You know why it's never been repeated again? Because you'd all be dead right now. (laughs) And, but what it does is it gets everybody's attention. Well, not only Ananias, this is gonna take about three hours because as soon as the great fear comes upon him, verse six says, and the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. This is gonna take about three hours. So three hours goes by and it came about three hours later when his wife um, came in not knowing what had happened. She didn't know that her husband had gone in, told this lie, falls over and dies. And Peter answered her, said, got a question for you. Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yep, that's what we sold it for. And then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit? You have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they're gonna carry you out too. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out and buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon the church and upon all those who heard these things. So here we have this, this story of um, a husband and a wife. Um, basically, I think um, wanting a little attention that Barnabas was, was getting. And to do it, they embellished their story. And as a result, um, we have this very severe d- discipline 
that uh, the Lord brings on to the church, the result, it's got everybody's attention. They, the, the, the fear of the Lord about lying was very, very real. All right, let's pick it up in verse um, 12. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord on Solomon's porch. Yet none of them dared uh, join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And so they brought the sick out into the street and laid them on beds and couches that at least the the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. In other words, the miracles were so amazing that all Peter had to do is walk by somebody and if his shadow fell on a sick person, that person would get healed. So it was an amazing time in the early church. Also a great multitude gathered for from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, when I read about the unclean spirits, um, I began to think about what's going on in our country today. And I truly believe that... um, there are demon-possessed people in, in very, very high places today that are being controlled by unclean spirits. And um, so we're actually going to go there on Sunday. This is going to be one of our main texts, trying to tie in some of the things of um, current events, but really the powers behind it. We say that it's COVID. We say it's the vaccine. It's creating fear. No, it's a lot greater than that. There's demonic activity of demon-possessed people that are simply setting the framework for a one-world government and a one-world religion. And that's, this is what's going on behind the scene. And I think of all the people, do you know, one-third of Jesus' ministry was casting demons out of people. And so we're going to get sidetracked there because we don't think about it too much But here, it says they were tormented by unclean spirits and they were healed. And so we'll be looking at some of the people on on Sunday that the Lord delivered. Um, um, Some of them had supernatural strength. Um, Some of them were simply tormented and and didn't know why. So from verses 12 to 16, um, we have this. Now, all this happened after Ananias and Sapphira died. Now, doesn't it make you wonder what happened to them after they died? I mean, I, I thought about it. Did they go to heaven or did they go to hell? And as we look at this here, it says, although they were saved, they lied to the Holy Spirit and they were, they were removed from the company of believers. They had committed the sin unto death. And with that, I want you to turn with me and to 1 John chapter 5. Now let's just look at this a little bit. And look at verses 14 through 17. Were they saved? Yes, they were saved. Did the Lord take them out? Definitely. The question is, if the Lord took them out, did they go to heaven or did they go to hell? In 1 John 5, um, picking it up in verse 14, we read, now this is a confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, that's what I have underlined here, Uh, He hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us, whatever we, we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. The only sin that the Lord cannot forgive is called the blasphemy, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's called the unforgivable sin. It says it will not be forgiven in this life and it will not be forgiven in the life to come. Well, what is that sin? It's when you hear the gospel. Let's, let's go back to Peter's first sermon when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened? When they were told that they needed to repent, it says they were, what, cut to the heart, right? And they were convicted. And they asked the question, what do we do? And he says, repent. Okay, some did and some didn't. The ones who did were baptized. Remember we made the point there was 3,000 of them that got saved? And then we went back to the Old Testament and the day that Moses presented the law, um, 3,000 died. And then we went to the scripture that says, by the law comes death, but grace and truth and life come through the Lord. The only sin that they're referring to here that you don't um, pray for is that you would reject um, the truth when you hear it. So what about Ananias and Sapphira? Well, they committed this sin uh, that does not lead. He will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. Death refers here to physical death. It has no reference at all to spiritual death because the child of God has eternal life. Um, If we think about this, were they saved? Yes. Did they sin? Yes. Uh, Was it the unforgivable sin? No. Because many people uh, in the Old Testament, we could give so many examples here, but I just want to have you think about one because it's a big one. And besides that, I like to tie the Old Testament in with the New. So having said that, let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 17. To me, when we talk about for every New Testament teaching, we have an Old Testament picture. I think of all of them, this one to me is the most obvious. If you're in Exodus 17, let's look at the first seven verses. The setting is uh, the Lord has used Moses to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. They're traveling. Um, We're talking possibly two million people here. And to provide food and water for two million people going through the wilderness, that had to be quite a feat. Well, we know how the Lord fed them because every morning they would wake up and there was manna. And that's what they ate. They, they complained about it because that's all they had was manna. Manna in the morning, manna in the evening, manna at supper time. You know, manna, manna, manna. <laughs> and they were sick of manna. But what about the water in the desert? So what we have here in chapter 17, verse 1, then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out in their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the Lord and the people thirsted there for water And the people murmured against Moses and said, why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, 
What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take with you in your hand your rod which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you will strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink and Moses did so in the sight of the children of Israel and say so call the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying is the Lord with us or not all right turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Moses did exactly what the Lord told him to do. The people were whining and complaining. He says, okay, uh, let's go over to this rock here. I want you to take the rod, the same rod that divided the, the Red Sea, and I want you to strike it. And he struck the rock, and water came out, and everybody's thirst was satisfied. But it's a picture As you look at 1 Corinthians 10, let's read um, the first four verses. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. Being under the cloud means that the Shekinah glory of God went before them when they traveled in the daytime, protected them from the sun, And in the desert, it can get cold at night and was warm for them. And it was was a cloud as they passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. Well, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he actually talked about the manna that came down from heaven. He said, no, I am the bread of life. That was a picture of me, and by the way, you had to eat it daily. Good place for an amen. What would happen if they decided uh, to go out and get two days worth? Uh, it would rot, except on the Sabbath. Then they would pick for two days, but the point is, that's a picture too. And the picture is of um, really eating the word of God on a daily basis. In other words, tonight's Bible study isn't gonna do you any good tomorrow morning when you get up. (laughs) You gotta start fresh and eat fresh. And, um, you know, some churches and some um, people saying, another Bible study? Is that all you guys do is have Bible studies over there? And, 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 uh, And, you know, the early church, that's how they existed. The apostles' doctrine. And they did it uh, on a daily basis. And so it's uh, the, the idea of man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from me, uh, has to be done. Well, does, you don't have to, but um, there will be a, a, a spiritual malnutrition if you don't. So we go on to read if the manna was the word. And then in verse four it says that they all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Oh, now we got a whole new insight into what's going on. And um, we are told, Moses, I want you to go over there I want you to strike the rock. He just did it one time. He struck the rock and water came out. Well, we're told here that that rock was Christ. And a little bit of time goes on and we could go back, but I don't want to get, I don't want to get too far off track here. I want to simply um, um, make this point that Ananias and Sapphira um, sinned. They lied. Um, 
but it was not a sin unto death. So the people, some time goes by, they get thirsty again, and they start complaining again. And um, Moses has had it up to here with the murmuring and complaining. And um, he, he goes to the Lord and says, what are, what are we gonna do with these guys? And he was ticked off. And this time the Lord says, I want you to go speak to the rock and it'll bring forth water. What's different from the first one to the second one? First one, he struck the rock, right? But the second one, he says, I want you to speak to the rock. But Moses is ticked off. So what does he do? He strikes it again. And the Lord said, Mo, Moses, we were talking about in the, in the prayer room some of the things that uh, we would get disciplined for when we were young kids. Mom had the fleece water hanging right on the refrigerator. <laughs> and if it was something serious, it was wait till your father gets home. <laughs> and it was basically just discipline. And here, um, the Lord told Moses, he said, Moses, I told you to speak to the rock. And he says, because you struck the rock and you were not obedient to me, you're not gonna lead the people into the promised land. And you think to yourself, that's pretty serious discipline for just striking it instead of speaking to it. No, it wrecks the whole picture. When we read, especially in the book of Hebrews, the point over and over again, Christ, who was a smitten one time, he was put on the cross one time. There can never be, uh, this is the big problem with um, um, communion in the Roman Catholic Church because basically what they have up there is an altar. And basically every time they have communion or the Eucharist, they are sacrificing the Lord again and again and again and again. And uh, that is a big problem because the Lord suffered one time and it was sufficient. Now that that's done, what happened when Jesus was smitten? Well, the veil in the temple opened up. Direct access to heaven. No intermediators. We have direct access so that a priest or any other person becomes a mediator. You have direct access access. Here's my point. He was punished. Joshua was the one who could bring the people into the promised land, but not Moses. But there's more to it even than that. Um, Well, let's turn to it. It's in the first chapter of John. It's not my notes, but we only have these two chapters and they're really not that long. So let's go to John chapter 1. Let's look at verse 17. It says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, Moses represents the law. The promised land that God promised the children of Israel is um, a way of entering into God's promises. Question, can you enter into God's promises through the law? See, there's still the picture that's there. Who led them into the promised land? Joshua. Translating the name Joshua from the Greek and the English and so on and so forth, you have Jesus. And so the law came through Moses. Moses could look into the promised land, but um, this whole incident happened because it's another picture that only grace and truth that comes through Jesus can bring you into God's promises. What did God promise you and me? The Holy Spirit. And we have a picture that can only um, be, be given that way. All right, 
A little sidetracked there. Let's make our way back to the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira were disciplined, but it was not a sin unto death, no more than Moses' sin. Um, I believe Moses and Elijah are going to be the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. And so, as we pick it up and we read all the way through verse. Uh, well, let's reread it because I, got, I went back so much on Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 12, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of them dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out of the street, laid them on beds and couches, that at least the, the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And also a great multitude gathered from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, uh, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits that they were healed. Go back to Acts chapter one, verse eight again. We've been making the point that when the Holy Spirit would come, they would receive power. That's what's happening here. Chapter one, verse eight, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses to be in Jerusalem. Well, that, that was two and three and four. But now, uh, beginning with um, chapters five and six, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Go back to chapter five and look at verse 16 and we find it spreading. It says the multitudes gathered from where? Not just Jerusalem now. Now the word is getting out and people are bringing the sick where? From cities around Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria Uh, because the word was out that the Lord was through his disciples, were doing miraculous um, uh, miracles. Uh, notice here that the apostles uh, exercised these gifts of healing and miracles, uh, were signed gifts which were given to the apostles, and they did many of them. Uh, the discipline in the church had put a fear on the people and had stopped the revival yet there were those who were still being saved now believers were being added to the church we know that by the year 300 AD so let's fast forward from this time and go ahead up to 300 AD there were 3 million people in the Roman Empire who had turned to the Lord Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And they were persecuted to their faith all the way up until about 312 AD. And this is when Constantine became emperor, declared himself to be a Christian. And the persecution, at least of of death, um, that was taken away. So we like to say that uh, the seeds of the church were accomplished through the the blood of the martyrs. All right, 17 and 18. This is the second time that they're going to be put in prison. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. And they were filled with indignation and again, remember, they're upset with the gospel because they don't believe in the, in the resurrection. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. So this is the second time. First time, remember, they got caught at night and they were just there for a short time. This is the second time they're going to prison. Um, but at night, an angel of the Lord. Now, if you have the King James Version, Um, This is 
back and forth are sometimes the King James will interpret it more accurately. Other times, the New King James will interpret it more accurately. I believe, if I'm right, if you have a King James version, it says the angel of the Lord or the angel of the Lord, which is in the Old Testament always a reference to the Lord himself. And that's not the case here. My Bible says, but at night, an angel. It doesn't say the angel of the Lord. And this is a more accurate translation because it's not the Lord. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those who were with him came and called the council together with all the elders and children of Israel and sent to the prison and said, bring those guys out. We want to talk to them. But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported, saying, indeed, we promised the prison, it was all locked up and secure, and the guards were standing outside before the door, but when we opened them, there wasn't anybody inside. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. Then one came and told them, saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They didn't head for the hills, they went right back to work. They didn't run away, even though they were, they were in prison. And so then the captains went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. The multitudes that were there um, um, were amazed as all Jerusalem was. And when they brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them saying, didn't we not strictly command you not to teach this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Wouldn't it be great to say that the churches in Appleton, Wisconsin have turned the city upside down because of the gospel? Amen? And that's what was happening here. Um, there's more questions that are answered here. We're, we're clearly told in verse 19, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. Um, did they supernaturally put the guards asleep? <laughs> it doesn't tell us. They just walked out. Were they invisible at that time? I don't know. Um, we All we know that they're out, but... It, looks like everything's the same. They go back, the, the doors are all locked, the guards are still there, and they're probably looking at, what's the problem? And they said, your prisoners aren't there, they're out there, <laughs> and they're preaching. And um, it, it caused them with great wonder. They wondered what the outcome would be because it did not... Um, take off at this point. So this brings us back to verses 29 to 32. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. All right, what was last Sunday's Bible study all about? Was not the title of it, obey or not to obey? Um, again, the quoting of Romans 13 that we are to obey the authorities of the land and if they tell us that um, um, we can't go to church or we have to, um, you can have 50 people go to church. Depends what state you live in. It's different, whatever. Um, there are some churches that say, no, we need to obey the laws of the land. Romans 13, first couple of verses, and you're not doing it. And the problem is that there's a higher order than that, and it's what happened right here. 
And Peter says it again. We ought to obey God rather than men. You put us in jail. You told us we couldn't do this. Sorry. The Lord has told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel unto all people. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand. Now I love this because they were they come right up to him and say, you can't do this anymore. So what does Peter do? <laughs> he turns around and he starts preaching to him. The same ones that uh, told him he couldn't do it anymore. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who, what, obey him. So again, obedience is better to obey the Lord than the laws um, that would contradict God's laws. 33 through 39, we're introduced to... um, a very wise man whose name is Gamaliel. And when they heard this, they were furious, and they took counsel how to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee whose name was Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, he was held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. So he's calming everybody down. They want to kill him. But Gamaliel, um, just hold your figure there and turn with me to Acts 22, verses 1. Acts, um, yeah, Acts 22. Turn over there quickly. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 3. This is Paul, and he's talking about his heritage. In verse one he says, men, brethren, and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they all kept the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew. I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous towards God as you all know today. Here, Paul is dropping Gamaliel's name. He says, yeah, I'm a Pharisee. And um, matter of fact, I was brought up under Gamaliel. And he's making the point here that um, uh, he, this man is really something very, very special, and indeed he is. All right, now let's go back to Acts. And we're in chapter five, verse 34. They want to kill him, but this guy named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all people, commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. He says, guys, sit down. Take the, take the ones that you want to kill, put them out of the room for a while. I want to talk to you. And he said to the men of Israel, you better take heed to yourself what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be a somebody. A number of men, or oh, maybe about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered. It came to nothing. After this man, there was Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of a census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him, they were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan, for if this um, plan of this work is of men, it'll come to nothing. If, If... if it's just something of man, it'll come to nothing. But if it is of God, 
you cannot overthrow it lest even you find yourself fighting against God. Pretty wise words, wouldn't you say? Let's see what happens. And it got their attention and um, verse 33 said they took counsel to kill them but after listening to Gamaliel in verse 40 they agreed with him and when they had called for the apostles and beat them they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the disciples began to say, I gave my, the, my life to the Lord. Now look what's happening to me. I'm getting beat up. Getting thrown in jail all the time. Is that what they said? No. They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, picking it up in verse 12. This is something that could really happen. It is so late right now, I'm reading articles where um, because of the some of the legislation that's being put into place right now, it could lead for the calling of the closing of churches because of hate speech, because we would actually speak out against sin, especially the sexual sins, and especially the sexual sins in the gay and lesbian and transgender movement. That's in, in being voted on as we speak right now. And that could actually happen. And what churches do and how they respond to that could lead to serious persecution. Um, and I think it's really, really late. This deals with it in First Peter 4, picking up in verse 12. Beloved, do not think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. Remember last week we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They decided to obey God and not bow down to the image. And what did they get thrown into? A fiery furnace. You know where we get the Christian phrase from? Fiery trial? I believe that's where it goes back to. I believe it goes back to that event. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, how, how you doing? Man, I'm going through a burner right now. Uh, that's Christianese for fiery trial. And what are we told about it? Don't think it's strange. Uh, don't think it's a strange thing that is happening to you, but rejoice. That's what the disciples did after they were beaten, to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. This is exactly what the disciples said when they were beaten. That when his glory is revealed, you will also be glad with exceeding joy. Now, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit and the glory of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. We have the beginning of the church. Oh, Ananias and Sapphira lied. What happened? God judged them. What was the result of it? Fear fell upon the rest of them. Oh, God's serious about lying. I don't think we should lie. <laughs> and for the time has come, the judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, 
If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. All right, let's go back. We're just finishing up chapter five. And as a result, um, the apostles are, are beaten. Let's read it again, 40 to 42. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame uh, for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as a Christ. All right, chapter six. Really not a whole lot here, sort of setting um, in this chapter uh, we will see the further results of uh, the defection that was in the church. We first saw the defection, the defection in the case of Adonis and Sapphira. They were believers who were saved, and um, and they were they were judged by the Lord. Now, uh, the defection we see in this chapter leads to the selection of deacons. The chapter continues with the account of one of those deacons named Stephen. Uh, He was famed, I should say framed, arrested, and tried. So, we have thousands of brand new converted believers. And they had to be taken care of and fed on a daily basis. Now it's getting down to where the rubber meets the road with all these baby Christians. What do you do with them? How do we take care of them? They're from all over the world. So we read in verse one, chapter six. Now in those days when the numbers of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in a daily distribution. In other words, the feeding. And some of the widows were not being taken care of. So then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. There's a lot of work that needs to be done around here and we can't do it all. Um, Because if we did that, I would they're saying we wouldn't have our study time. We wouldn't have time to be praying. So let's get other people involved with the work. Therefore, brethren, I want you to seek out from among yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So basically, they're going to pick out um, uh, men to take care of this business. Now let's just make it practical here for Calvary Chapel of Appleton. Um, Right now, we have a snow crew. I praise the Lord because I think we're over the hump. It looks like we're gonna be in the 50s next week. Um, But then we're gonna have a yard crew. Why? Because when it snows, it's got to be plowed and shoveled. And in the summertime, the grass has to be cut and weeds have to be pulled. That's just the outside. Then there's the inside people that do cleaning. We have our own security team here. Um, We have a video department. We have Sunday school teachers. We have bookstore overseers. We have ushers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole lot that goes on here. We have um, gals that are just over what we call the the funeral ministry. And when a wedding, you know, just putting a funeral, you wouldn't think it would be a big deal, but there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. 
And whenever we have a conference, there's all this stuff that people don't realize when everybody goes home at night, that there's teams of people that stay here, clean the toilets, vacuum the whole church, but nobody sees that happening. Well, that's what's happening here. And um, it is absolutely necessary to have that involvement because, let's face it, the 12 apostles weren't going to be able to handle feeding this many people. Everybody with me? Okay. Um, So, verse five, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and so they chose uh, Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and and Prochorus, and Nicaron, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte, from Antioch. Now what's a proselyte? A proselyte is somebody who's not Jewish but has converted to Judaism. And so he's not a Jew, but he becomes one. And he's from Antioch. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, or Stephen, however you want to say it, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Now, because of this, uh, there arose some from what was called the synagogue of freedmen, um, Alexandrian and those from Sicily and Asia, they disputed with Stephen. Now, Stephen is just witnessing, but they were getting into a debate and arguing with him from their perspective. But they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced Ben to say, well, you know, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. And they also set up false witnesses. So this is where um, Stephen is um, being betrayed. They get some people to lie. They were referring to what Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And of course, he wasn't talking about that temple, he was talking about his temple. And they were just twisting it. And they said, we were there, we heard him say it, he was gonna destroy the temple. And then they, get, they got other false witnesses. This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the custom which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him. Now imagine being in his his place and you're really getting railed on and they're really coming down hard on you. And um, he's probably thinking, well, that's not true. They're sure twisting that one around. That isn't right. And he's not thinking to himself, gee, I wish these guys would get their act together and, and um, uh, get, feel bad about it. Verse 15 says, when he was being accused like this, all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as a face of an angel. In other words, he began to glow with all this accusation and things that were coming upon him, his, he, he actually, um, I, I do believe that he, you know, his countenance changed almost to the point where he was glowing. And so it's at our time And if you look at chapter seven, it's a continuing thought, and I really wanted to do it. And then I saw that there was 60 verses. (laughs) Can you see why we're not gonna try to tackle that one? We're not, so let's stand and we'll close in prayer.
Lord, as we see the beginning of the church and you tell us that judgment does start in the house of God and we see that um, um, the discipline of Ananias and Sapphira uh, brought fear uh, that you're serious about um, lying, being deceitful, um, not speaking the truth, and um, wanting holiness in your church. And we see the great results of the works that took place in the early church. Even to the point where tonight we learn about if we're going through a fiery trial or suffering persecution, that it was the, the norm for the early church. And when it happened to them, they rejoiced uh, that they were able to suffer in the same way that you did. So Lord, help us take the same mindset when we go through trials and suffering, realizing that if they hated you, they're gonna hate us too. And um, that uh, it just um, becomes part of who we are. Lord, help us be more like the early church than the last day church of Laodicea who thought they were rich, but they were really poor. And here in the early church, they were rich, but they gave it all away. And help us have this mindset. And we thank you for your word. And we pray for the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.